Amen. Well, it's good to be back after about four years. Amen. Uh, yeah, we were on the. We got churches that support us in the southeast, and then we got churches that support us up here in the northwest, and really none in between. So it usually takes us about a week to drive from Florida, where our families are, and come up to here. And we stopped off in Albuquerque and got a motel, and then uh, we got woke up by the motel phone, which is never a good thing to get woke up by the motel phone about three o'clock in the morning, and someone was trying to steal our truck with the trailer for the, with the ministry supplies in it. So we ran out there and dissuaded them, and they took off, and the Lord blessed. They didn't get away with the truck. They didn't get anything out of the trailer. Uh, the only thing that happened was uh, my two suit coats, they got ruined. They dumped all the, my toolbox out on them, got them all greasy, but thank God for thrift stores, amen. So we're on the road again with a suit coat. Uh, Lord bless, we, we saw blessings come out of that. Uh, I had to cancel my meeting on the Navajo reservation on that Wednesday, the next day, and uh, dropped in at a church, and I get through showing the, the presentation about the ministry and everything, and she jumps up, a, a Navajo lady jumps up and said, when I was a teenager, she's in her probably late 30s, I went to boarding school with some kids from a village down river from y'all, Mountain Village, and they got saved the same night I got saved at a camp meeting that the boarding school went to. And when we graduated from high school, they went back to their village, and they, I lost contact with them. And I'm going to come visit them now, and I'm going to introduce you to them. And I've been trying, just banging my head against the wall, trying to get into that village to get the Word of God out, and haven't been able to heretofore. So the Lord, if we hadn't have had that happen, we would not have met this lady. There are several other things that happened uh, in addition to that. The Lord's just blessed. Uh, you, you, you talk about making lemonades out of lemons, but the, the Lord's just blessed. Everything's, he knows it's going to happen. He's allowing it to happen. And what's our reaction going to be to it? Amen. The Lord's just blessed. We saw some souls get saved out of being delayed there and other things as well. But the insurance has paid for the truck to be fixed, just waiting on parts still to come in. So I'm glad I went ahead and flew up here without my family. Uh, apologize for them not being here. Um, the ministry in St. Mary's is going well. We had been there two years when we came last time. Um, we had just gotten a building uh, about a year before we came here. We've been working on that building, plugging away on it. I mean, a third of it burnt down. There was no plumbing. It had burst several times over the years. No heating, things like that. We've been working on it. But even more important, we've been working on souls, and there's been a lot of people get saved. We've got about 35 people coming to church now. There's uh, seven saved adults that are growing in the Lord, starting to go out and try and lead people to the Lord on their own, uh, starting to tithe. So the, the ministry, it's, it's the saved people are growing in, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and what God expects of them as a Christian, growing, getting maturity. So thank God for that. We're coming up on our seventh year anniversary this September, and that was one of my goals by the seventh year was to have some good mature Christians in there. And our 10th year anniversary, if you could pray for this, by our 10th year of being there, I would like wisdom from God. My son has surrendered to preach. He's 13. There's two young native men. They're, they're actually teenagers as well. He led them to the Lord several years ago. They've surrendered to preach. Pray that they'll stick with it, first of all. They're, if they become pastors, they'll be the first you pick pastors ever in history. And I'd like direction from God. Should I stay in St. Mary's and send them out to other villages? We're the only Baptist church on 2,000 miles of the Yukon River. Or should I hand the ministry over to one of them and go to another village? I need wisdom as the ten year, uh, three years from now will be our 10th anniversary. I just need wisdom on where to go with that. But uh, 
the Lord's blessed. We're just plugging away out there. We sure appreciate y'all's prayers, y'all's financial support through the years, and uh, appreciate y'all being willing to come up on a missions trip in 2024. Oh, that's right. I didn't talk. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> One of the goals of this ministry is I'm my own PR man. I get to come out. They let me loose from the Bush Village about once every four years for a furlough. We're trying to get some church groups to come up for 2024, 2025, and 2026, the summers, just to help us work on the building and do youth camp. Youth camp, this just happened, our first youth camp last year, and it was 45 miles downriver. The meanest man in the village got saved. An elderly preacher from North Carolina came up and loved on him, went to his house, witnessed to him, ignored the bed bugs, ignored the tobacco juice veneer on the floor, and that man got saved. And he's been the most faithful man to come to church, grown in the Lord, still a little rough around the edges. He was a, a bachelor all his life. He'd gotten abused by a priest, a Catholic priest, when he was 12. Um, just remained a bachelor, crusty old fisherman. He lets us use his native allotment land 45 miles down river that he could charge thousands of dollars because of the scarcity of land that's not federal or native corporation or native allotment. He lets us use that land for free for the, the uh, youth camp. We went and cleared land last summer. Some men from Texas came and helped. Praise God. The first trees to grow there since Noah's flood, we chopped them down. Praise God. Amen. It just feels good to do something like that in this woke society we live in. But uh, they didn't start growing there till about the year 2000. Um, and we cleared some land, put up some wall tents, had youth camp. Out of 10 lost kids that came, seven got saved and have been growing in the Lord ever since then. Uh, they came back and they started bringing other teenagers. These aren't you know, little seven, eight years old. These are teenagers. They've been bringing other teenagers to church. Several of them have gotten saved, and they've been growing in the Lord with a discipleship program. We're going back this year. Pray for the youth camp. Most of these kids have been raped as kids, and so they feel dirty. They feel like God can't use them. And the theme for this youth camp is going to be precious jewels to God. A miner gets muddy, grubby, dirty, and he roots around in this old earth, and he finds what he's looking for, a jewel. But it doesn't look like one when he pulls it out. But when he grinds on it and polishes it and facets it, it can reflect the light. And I want to show these kids that that's what God can do with them as well. Um, on this trip, just I've never done it before. I was like, well, I'm going with that theme. Maybe I'll go look for some, some jewels in the earth so I can cut a 55-gallon drum in half, fill it full of Yukon River mud, and put all these jewels in it, I find. And didn't expect to find much, but the Lord's blessed. And in like four days of looking over the last three months, we found almost $5,000 worth of jewels. I was offered that at a rock shop. I didn't know what I had. I just took it in. I've never done it. We're going to pour those jewels in that 55-gallon drum, let the kids take turns getting them out, getting dirty, just like Christ became sin for us, gets us out of this old world and cleans us up and we're precious to him. We reflect his light when he's done for his honor and glory. And maybe that'll help get it in their minds, that visual illustration of the goodness of God. He gives us a new life in Christ. We're not held by the shame of the past. God's given us a new life. So pray for them, if you would, really hard in July as the Lord sees fit. Amen. And if you got any questions for me, get with me after the service. I'll be in the, the prophet's chamber the next two days, come by, bend my ear. Amen. I'm just going to be studying for messages or either. If anybody knows about Snoqualmie Pass, I'd like to talk to you a little bit after church. I've heard they had some amethyst crystals out there, the purple 
Amethyst Crystals. And I'd just like to talk to you if you know anything about that place after the service so I can get some more things for the kids to, to look for. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Man, I love the song services where they sing old-fashioned songs. Amen. That's a blessing. Uh, some of my favorite time to study a message is actually during the song service, right before I preach. I just like to get in there. I love to hear the people singing. It gives me a sense of, are these people, even though it's a Sunday night and it's been hot the last two days and preachers just back from Africa and people are wore out, are they excited to be here or not? They, you know, it gives me a sense of what to, how to preach, how loud I should get to keep your attention, things like that. <laughs> Amen. But it encourages me spiritually while I'm looking at the verses the last time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am everything. It doesn't say that, does it? I am nothing. Go up to someone from one of these woke universities and, you know, they're into all this stuff for humanity and trying to save the world and promote what they think is a good thing, but it's really just wickedness, homosexuality, whatever it might be. Say, all those things you're doing, that's vanity, it's nothing. And just wait for the bomb to go off. But we're not talking about those people. We're talking about Christians. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Dear Lord, we pray, dear Lord, for this message. It's your message. It's not mine. I'm just a messenger boy. We give you the honor and glory for your message. Please, dear Lord, would your Holy Spirit take these verses, put them in our hearts and minds, help us to implement them in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in a bush village, you cannot just wear any old dress shoes. I know it's about time for a furlough when I wear out my boots. It's about four years. I buy some heavy-duty boots. They're not the best-looking boots, but they'll do for dress boots. But they also have uh, composite steel toes. I don't get metal steel toes because then your toes will freeze up there. But I get steel toes for a reason because... Once you do fly 450 miles from the road system out to where we are, from, from where Anchorage and all the big cities are, you fly out to us. We got, a, we, got, we got our own road system. We're pretty proud of it. It's 26 miles long, rough gravel road, have to have a four-wheel drive. And when I leave St. Mary's to go minister in other villages, it sure is nice to get in a passenger vehicle and crank it up. When it's 40 below zero outside and it's sitting there, and whoo, it's nice and warm. Don't have to get on the snow machine. Can take my whole family. But sometimes when we're going to Pitka's Point, six miles down the river, we, we're on these ridges of hills, and then we've got to go down this really steep, narrow valley all the way down to the Yukon River where Pitka's Point is, so I can preach there every Sunday. And if it's been snowing, there's going to be drifts at the top of the road. Usually they're about three foot deep, but they're only about maybe five to six feet across and usually I can just bust right through them but on occasion I'll almost get through them and oh didn't get through so I'll get out and I'll start kicking at the tires and that doesn't work so I'll get the snow shovel out and start shoveling snow you got to have some tougher boots for that you know it's a good thing I had these with the steel toes in them because when I was studying this message out the Lord stomped on my toes with this message I don't say this lightly I've been preaching for 21 years seeing souls get saved Grown in the Lord, it's 
the Lord shows me things and I'm obedient to them. This message, studying it out about a year and a half ago, the Lord got a hold of me about how I approach my ministry, especially to lost people. And it changed how I minister to lost people. We're going to look at three things very quickly. What charity is not, what charity is, and the lasting effects of charity, the eternal effects of charity. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. How many of y'all know what a bagpipe is? You know, you know what a bagpipe is. Now, when I was lost and I was involved in a feud with boys from Alabama, I didn't listen to rock music or country music before I got in a fight. Man, I put on some of that Scottish war music on the bagpipes, and man, that'd get me wrought up. I'd go get in a fight. But you know what? I learned something. One of my friends learned to play the bagpipes. And one day, I was sleeping in my bedroom about 4 o'clock in the morning, and he got with my mom and dad on this, and he came in there and started playing the bagpipes. I almost shot him. Just out of, I wasn't, it wasn't that I was bad, it was that I was so scared. What in the world is going on in this room? And I grabbed that gun I had by my bed, and he almost died. But a bagpipe is something you practice on the backside of a cow pasture. You know, you don't practice it in a room, even one this size, but especially a bedroom. You don't go in there and play. It ceases to be something that you enjoy, and it becomes an annoying sound. Well, think about during this message, your coworker you've been witnessing to for a long time, your lost cousin, maybe it's your neighbor that you've been inviting to church for years, decades. And there comes times in their life when it's not just they could use the help, they need the help. And you've got the opportunity, let's say, your coworker, been inviting them to church now for 10 years. Y'all are the only two at work, and you go outside, and his truck's parked by yours, and you hear something, you hear a hissing sound. You say, oh my goodness, you got a nail on your tire. But it's very, it's, it's still got air in it. You could drive it home if you could plug it. He doesn't have a plug kit. You don't got one. And he asks you, would you drive me 10 minutes down the road to a, a, a little convenience store so I could get a plug kit and 10 minutes back? And you tell him no. Because if you did that, you'd be late, five minutes late to your Wednesday night service at the church you've been inviting them to for 10 years. And you leave. The next time you quote John 3.16 to him and invite him to church, witness to him, it might start out, for God so loved the world that... He just, you, you're an annoyance to him now. He, he doesn't want to hear it. What is charity? A lot of people talk about that, and there's, man, there's a lot of books on that, preacher. You've probably read some of them. The Bible's pretty good at defining what charity is and isn't, and we're going to read a little bit more about that, but a lot of people just say, it's just love, it's just love. A lot of uh, versions of the Bible that corrupt the Word of God, they just replace it with love. But that's a very shallow definition of it. Then some people go a little bit further. They say, well, it's love in action, and then I've been to this church. You should go there. I could tell you the name. So there, this is church in the south, and a bar started up across the road, and the preacher, man, they started praying. We're going to have prayer meetings at the brother's house, prayer meetings at the sister's house, prayer meetings at church, until the Lord takes this bar out of this community. They prayed, and they prayed, 
And then the bar burnt down, praise God. And, and, you know, the preacher preaches a message on God answering prayers, God uh, rewards your faith. He's shaking hands after church, and this little elderly lady comes up shaking his hands. Pastor, sometimes you just got to put some matches to your prayers. Just, she burnt that, that bar down. Amen? Match, that, that's love and action, right? But what about with the wrong motivation? You see, it's not just love and action. I'm from the South. We're really good at putting on a facade. You did something wrong to us, and for a split second, you might see this face. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Everything's just fine. I, can I help you out in any way? Why don't you come on to church? You want a cup of coffee or sweet tea? But on the inside, you see, God showed his love outwardly to us completely with his trinity. God the Father loved us so much that he turned his back on God the Son. God the Son loved us so much, knowing that not just his physical body was going to be tortured, but his soul was going to be tortured in hell by the bulls of Bashan, the dogs it talks about in the book of Psalms. They were going to gnash on him as penalty for our sin. He said, because he loved us so much, not my will, but thine be done. God the Holy Spirit, when God the Son ascended up into heaven, loved us so much that in these vile, corrupt bodies, he comes down and dwells on the inside of it. He guides us into all truth. He'll never lead us into a lie. How many times can we say with our whole being when someone's done us wrong that we've not just thought about loving them, not just said we would, not just did an action, but genuinely on the inside forgave them for what they did and put our whole being into it. You see, I believe charity for a Christian is just taking an outpouring of the complete love of God that was poured out to us and just pouring it back out to the lost and dying world. And as we read this Bible, the Bible says in verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Let's see, I need a, I need a volunteer. I'll pick this young man right here. Okay, you, you sit there. I'm, I'm going to prophesy. I'm from the south. I'll do this really good. Oh, dear Lord, I, I just prophesy. I see this young man is going to meet a girl from Alabama. She's going to have buck teeth so bad she can eat a hamburger through a chain link fence. They're going to have 24 kids and half will be twins. I'm just joking. Okay. All right. I got everybody's attention now. I hope that doesn't come true. Amen. Oh, okay. Well, you can know everything about the book of Revelation and the prophecy that's in it. And when you go witness to your lost cousin and you're telling man, you don't want to uh, be lost and going, the Lord's going to come back one day. You don't want to go into that seven-year tribulation. You go through it, and you tell them, man, it's going to be a terrible time. If God didn't shorten it by a short season, all mankind, would the devil would just kill us off. You don't want to go into that tribulation period. You need to get saved. Well, then comes a time, and he's a drunk, and he's got kids and a wife, and he spent his money on booze, and there's going to come a, there's going to come a cold spell getting down in the 20s there in Florida. He comes by, he says, man, I don't have any propane for the propane heater. This cold spell's coming tonight, it's going to last for a day and a half, and my kids are sick, and I don't want my water pipes to freeze. Could I borrow that little propane tank off the front of your RV there, your 
trailer. Well, no, you spent all your money on booze. I'm sorry, I'm not going to help you. And he leaves, and his kids that were sick, they get pneumonia. They take a while to get better from that. His pipes burst, causes damage. The next time you talk to him about all that prophecy, you think he's really listening. He's remembering that his kids got pneumonia because you didn't help him out. This is what an effect that charity can have in our witnessing to lost people. The Bible says in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. This is the world's definition right here. This is it. If you just took that, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. The proverbial Salvation Army pot on the tripod in front of Walmart with Santa Claus ringing the bell. That's the world's definition of charity. When, when I was a little boy, my, uh, my aunt, she would, oh, I done said it. I hope she doesn't watch this. Oh, my goodness. Well, she was watching me. I was about four. And she tortured me. She did. She was a terrible, terrible, terrible lady. She would take a young four-year-old boy into a, a hair salon and then to the sewing shop. And then she took me to Walmart and didn't buy me a treat. And we were coming out of Walmart, and I remember all that. And she threw some change into that Salvation Army pot. Everywhere we went the rest of the day, I heard about that. Oh, I've done my good bit for the day. You should too, you know. I put some change in that Salvation Army pot, and I'm a little closer to heaven. You know, you should do that too. It really helps the poor people out, and you'll feel better on the inside. She was popping her own suspenders, we call it in the South. When we're able to help someone, and God puts us in that position too, we're emulating Him. The goodness that He's poured out in our lives. And we're just giving it right back out. We're reflectors, just like the jewels. It's by the grace of God and His strength that I can do anything good after I get saved. And we should give Him the glory. The Bible says, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Not only are you nothing to a lost and dying world when you don't show out the love of God when they're truly in need, but up in heaven, it doesn't profit you anything. It profiteth me nothing. We've looked a lot at what charity is not. We're going to get some into what charity is. Don't you thank God that, you remember when you was about three or four? And you were starting to figure things out that this is wrong and I shouldn't do that. And this is right and I should do that in this given situation. But there was a lot of things you still hadn't figured out yet. And on occasion you'd come to, I have never had this situation in my little life before. and I don't know what to do. But I'm going to experiment. And you're experimenting. And then all of a sudden you're snatched up by an adult. And, don't you ever do that again, Israel warned. That was wrong. And then they throw you down and they leave. They told you what not to do in that situation, but they never told you what to do. God's not like that. Thank God he teaches a principle of replacement. If the Lord says thou shalt not, he also tells you thou shalt do this. It, uh, replace bad things with good things. We're going to look at some of those things. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Now we brag about Jesus Christ and his suffering on the cross for our sin. And then at the end of it, he was kind. But think about lost people in our life. Did you know that sin causes pain, right? Lost people will steal from you. They will lie about you. They will drive drunk and kill your loved ones. Sin hurts. 
We've all been hurt by sin if we stop and think about it. But are we going to emulate the charity of God and suffer long and at the end of it be kind? You think of our, your, yourself, myself. God, before the foundation of the world, he's got a book with the, my members written in it. I can't fathom that, but it says so. He knew that I was going to sin. He knew his son would have to die for my sin on the cross of Calvary. I heard Dr. Johnny Pope preach over at Somerville. I've never heard such a message on the crucifixion of Christ and all the details and all the people. And knowing my sin was poured on him. And he knew that before the foundation of the world it was going to happen. And he died for me anyway. And then almost 2,000 years later, I was born. And every time I sinned, God the Father just winked at it a little bit. He said, I'm going to show mercy again today on Israel 1. Every time I could have been shot or knifed, all those fights, God didn't let it happen. And he let an old Marine get out of Vietnam, survive Vietnam. He was a drunk, but he got saved. God called him to preach. His name is Junior Chambers. He came 30 miles away through the woods and bought an old redneck bar that was shut down and started Joy Bible Baptist Church. And I heard the gospel when I was 11, and I didn't get saved. I said, no. I said, I've got my own life to live. I felt somehow I was called to preach, and I did not want to be a preacher. I wanted to do something really godly. I wanted to be a mercenary, go out and kill people for money. That was my dream in life. And God, when I said no, he had mercy. He suffered long. And when I was 15 years old, I knew what I had to do. I'd heard the gospel. I went to church, and I was at the end of myself. And I kneeled down before a holy God, repented of my sins, said a prayer of salvation. In that very instant, God was so kind to me. I got saved. He gave me a new life in Christ. But what about us? When we suffer through lost people doing things to us, are we kind at the end of it? My goodness, I know I'm not all the time. Moving on, charity envieth not. What about rich people? They don't need our charity, surely not. I'll tell you a story. There was a rich man from Florida. This is back in the 1960s, before cell phones and before bottled water. He was driving a really expensive Lincoln up through the... He decided to take... Yeah, I'm not going to go on the state and you... U.S. and state highways, I'm going to go on these back roads, really try this Lincoln out, them clay roads, and his car broke down. I mean, he's got cowboy boots with gold tips on them. He's got a diamond tie tack. He's going to a meeting up in Atlanta for the oil, that industry he was involved in. He had expectations about what was going to happen, and he almost was right. He figured he'd start walking. Didn't know where the next gas station was, but he'd find it. But what would happen is some old redneck would come along, see that rich man's car, follow the footprints in the clay road, find him, and take him to a gas station and ask for a reimbursement of time and money because he was a rich man. An old redneck in a truck built before World War II, held together with baling wire, obviously a poor man, came along, saw the rich man's car, followed the tracks, picked the rich man up, Come on, get in the truck. I'll give you a cup of cold water out of my thermos before bottled water. I'll take you to the gas station. It's 10 miles down the road yet, and you can ring you up a record. Write it according to the rich man's expectation. They get there. The poor man gives them a gospel track with a church's address on it. Again, 
He's just selling his religion to them because he's taking advantage of the situation. This is what got the rich man. He did not ask for money. The poor man left, not asking for a dime. The rich man couldn't fathom that. It boggled his mind. He'd gotten to where he was in the corporate world, stepping on the backs of people. He couldn't sleep at night. He said, I'm going to go talk to that poor man. I'm going to take him some money. After about two weeks' time, I'll take him some money so I can sleep. He looked up the address of that church on the back of the track. He didn't read the track. And he went to the little country church, drove almost two hours to get there, and the poor man was not there. He never met the poor man again in his life. But he found what made the difference in the poor man and him. It was the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that rich man got saved. The Bible says, moving on, Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. We, we've, I've talked about my wife popping her suspenders. Does not behave itself unseemly. Now, what's that word unseemly? Now, when you said that to me as a redneck, if you was a rich man, educated, you didn't dare say stuff like that around where I grew up. You'd go poor. Everybody hold their 50 cent. Give me 50 cent for putting that burden on my redneck intellect. I, I don't know what that word says. and I, It's just, oh, I'm getting a headache. Right? Give me 50 cent. My grandmother, my Granny Allen, taught me what this word meant when I was about four years old. I had done something that she didn't take to. I'm the only grandchild ever to be switched by my Granny Allen. And she taught me this word, what it meant, unseemly. Israel Warren, I can't believe you did that in public where everybody could see that. That was unseemly, Israel Warren. You ought not to have done that where we'd be shamed, our family name. I should wear you. In fact, come on. Right now, let's go get a switch. I'm going to wear you out. That was unseemly. Unseemly means don't be caught in public doing that when Granny Allen's around. Or you will get a switching where you can be seen by everyone. What about when you're a Christian, you're driving to work, and if you can make the next three red lights, you'll make it on time. But if you don't, you're going to be about two, three minutes late. This one's a caution light, and you've got the pedal to the metal. If you can just make this caution light, you know you'll get the green lights on the next two. And then hmm, somebody just swings in front of you, cuts you off, you slam on the brakes, you're stuck at the red light, and the curses start flowing with your fingers and your mouth, and the person looks in their rearview mirror, and it's your coworker that you've been witnessing to for a long time. They were late too, and you just blew your testimony because that was unseemly. Ought not to have been seen in public doing that as a mature Christian. And now you've got to start from scratch in building that relationship back with them. The Bible says, seeketh not her own. I knew a lost man one time, again before the days of computers. He had a Browning A-bolt, Leopold scope on it. Nice rifle. Now, you, you men know and you ladies know too. We men, we have guns we really don't need. Now, there's some we need. I mean, yeah, we need those. But there's some we don't really need. We don't really use them. We bought them because we wanted them. Good investment, right? That's what we men say. And when we see another gun that we, we don't need, we'll sell the other one that we don't need to buy the other one that we don't need. It's, you know, it's just, it, yeah, that's how it is. Well, this lost man didn't really need this gun. He had other favorites that he used. But he wanted another gun, so he's going to sell it. Well, rich, uh, 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 a saved man comes along, and you know how men are. They got a dicker, you know. I want 900 for it. Well, I'll give you 800. Uh, no, I got to have 900. What about 825? I'll give you 825. And I'll even throw in maybe a box of bullets for your other gun, okay? 
No, no, i got to have $900. He didn't have to sell the gun. He just wanted this other gun. Well, they couldn't come to an agreement. They, they parted ways amicably. No harm done. Three months later, the lost man has come on hard times. He needs the money. He doesn't have time to wait for the next gun show. He calls up that saved man and says, you remember three months ago you offered me $800. I'll take that now. And the rich man, he said, how about 600 Because that was back in the days, if you was late, you had to go in person to the utilities to pay them before they shut it off. The internet wasn't a thing yet. He gave him $600, and that, that lost man died an atheist, using that as an excuse that all Christians are hypocrites, their religion's not real, they don't practice what they preach. He took advantage of me when I was in hard times. Seeketh not her own. How many times we do something for someone, but we got to have something in return to have a good attitude about it? I'll do something for you. Would you come to church? And then they don't show up. Oh, you should, oh, that lost person. I did this for them, that for them, and then they don't even show up to church. My goodness. Wow. That, that's me. This is me as a Christian. This, this, this message stomped all over me. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. When the lost people push your buttons with sin in your life and they provoke you, Again, we can act something on the outside, but what are we really like on the inside before a holy God? We'll go down to verse 7 for sake of time. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We know as a saved person our burden was taken away at Calvary, right? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. We know no matter what comes down the pike, what comes through the door today, all we have to do as a, a Christian, it could be a loved one dying. Bills unexpected. It could be someone doing something to us. All we got to do is go to Christ with that burden and pray and ask Him to help us just leave the burden there. A lost person does not have that option. They are yet under their burden of sin. They're condemned already, the Bible says. And they come to us seeking just temporary relief. Selfishly, perhaps. And we're like the Pharisees. We'll put a burden on them, but we won't lift any of it off of them with our little finger. They'll never come to us again for relief from that burden of sin. The Bible says, believeth all things, hopeth all things. There was a man in one village. He was drunk. He came banging on the door, trying to beat the door in, threatening to rape my wife and kids. He's provoking me. He's pushing all the right buttons. And I'm on the other side of the door with a shotgun, praying to God he doesn't get through. And he's trying for 20 minutes now. If he gets through, I'm going to have to shoot him. He's going to die, and he's going to go to hell. And praise God he didn't. Three days later, when I saw him walking down the road in his right mind, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Did I believe he could even still get saved after that? Did I hope for it to happen? Did I look forward to it? Just so close, I could almost taste it. If I just witnessed to him one more time, this could be the time. Or would I just walk by him and just act like he's not even there? Never witness to him. Never give him a gospel track. Never invite him to church again. This verse gets me as a grown-up man with pride. Because in situations like that, 
where the world would have justified it. It was legal in the state of Alaska just to shoot them through the door. I didn't have to be nice to them the next time I seen them. For the rest of my life, I could have just held that grudge, let a root of bitterness grow up, and let that man die and go to hell. This is where the rubber meets the road in charity in our lives, in missions. If you go to a country like Ghana, if you come to St. Mary's, and you've been witnessing to someone, and the Lord's used your unique personality that He made just for you to bond with a lost person that the missionary just because of his personality, hadn't been able to make an inroad with. And at the end of the week, you're about to get on that plane and fly back home, and that person, that lost person, meets you at the airport. All the barriers are down. They've seen the love of God in you. They want what you got. They come up, they want to, I want to get saved. I'm ready to get saved. They want to give you a hug. But you've noticed that they've had bed bugs, not just in their house, but on them. You've seen them crawling around, and they've seen you eyeballing out of the side of your eyes when you're visiting them. They know that you know they got bed bugs. That's the furthest thing from their mind. That's just life to them. They go to give you a hug as you pray together and you do the Baptist stiff arm. Dear Lord, I just pray for this person right here, dear Lord, that you'll just help them bless them and just, I know your Holy Spirit's going to come down in this moment as they come to you for salvation. And then they turn around and walk away and they never get saved. Because of a lack of charity. The Bible says right here, we've seen what charity is and it's not. We're going to see the lasting effects of charity. Charity never faileth. In verse 8, if you want to reach a lost person, that's the meanest man in town. Like the man who lets us use his native allotment for youth camp now. Remember this, charity never faileth. That elderly man from North Carolina loved all over that native man. He prayed with him. Every morning he'd go over there and drink out of a coffee cup that I guarantee you probably never been washed. And it had an effect on that man, and he got saved. And he's one of the best men in town now. He's not the meanest man anymore. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. All that talk that you know about the book of Revelation, whether there be tongues, I can learn John 3.16 and you pick to impress an elderly person because none of the People speak you pick as their first language except the elders. The next time I see them on the river on my snow machine as I'm going to another village to do a funeral, and they're broke down, and I just pass right by them, and nobody else comes before the next storm, and they're stuck out there, and they get frostbite in their feet, and their feet are amputated, and I go visit them in the hospital, and I quote John 3.16, and you pick to them, you think they're going to be impressed by that? No. They did not see the love of God in action with a pure motive in me. For we know in part, verse 9, and we prophesy in part. I know what the Bible says about charity, and I can prophesy this. If you'll put the Bible into action in your life, God will bless it and people will get saved. But if you don't, they'll go to hell. The Bible says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. I'm not a perfect trinity like God yet. I'm still stuck in this mortal body. But one day I won't be. One day I'll be up in heaven. The Bible talks about that right here. 
Verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. One day, that poor man from Alabama that gave that rich man a a ride, never asking for anything in return, just wanting to show him the love of God. And that rich man got saved. They never met again on earth. One day, that poor man will be up in heaven and it will be face to face with him rich man both together in the presence of God throughout eternity we don't know how far a glass of water on a hot day to a lost soul will go in this lifetime but one day we will the thing about saved people we're going to be at the great white throne of judgment and we're going to we're going to be in a glorified body but those lost people they're not going to be at the judgment seat of Christ where saved people get their rewards for the things they did after they were saved. We'll be there at the great white throne of judgment. They're not going to be in a glorified body. They're going to be in the presence of God Almighty undone in their sin. They're not concerned about all the saved people around them. But we'll see them. The ones we could have done something for when God gave the opportunity to help them in an hour of need. When they called us up in the middle of the night, suicidal, and asked us, would you come over and pray with me? It was late, man. I got to get up and go to work in the morning. I'll pray with you on the phone. And they never got saved. Because you didn't go there and pray with them and see them face to face. And now... You're seeing them face to face again. They're down there. You can see them. They can't see you. They don't have a glorified body. Therefore, holy God, I believe they'll just be cowering in shame. But you'll see them. The Bible says, then shall I know even as also I am known. How do lost people know us in our communities, our neighbors, our, our loved ones, our friends, even our enemies? And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. In witnessing to a lost and dying world, we're Christians. We have faith in God. We're saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we hope that they're going to get saved. We got the blessed hope. But our hope for a lost person is that they will receive the gospel when we tell them. But without charity, I tell you, far fewer lost people will get saved in your ministry here on earth than if you were helping them in their hour of need. When you go to a, 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 a mission field next time, when you go knocking on doors next time, when your neighbor has a need next time, not because I'm something special, but because this word of God is and because this message is and God gave it to me, remember this message. I give it to you as I receive I'm giving it out to you. This message has changed my life. And in the last year and a half, I've seen almost double the amount of adults get saved as I did in all the other 21 years of my ministry. Again, it's nothing new. It's just, it clicked with me for the first time. Dear Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, they think back on their life and they've been hurt by sin and people, that tonight they'll come down and ask you to take that root of bitterness that's come up through the years over that situation. And they'll go search that lost soul out and try and help them like they didn't years ago when they had opportunity. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help us to take this message and implement it in our witnessing in this lost and dying world. 
showing people the charity, the, just the full, encompassing love of God that was poured out to us. Just help us to pour it right back out. Out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. In your name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Pastor.